Welcome to episode 168 of the Institute of Performance Nutrition's We Do Science podcast, the IOPN podcast, and I am Laurent Bannock, the host. Now, today I had a, a fantastic conversation. I did one of the sort of more recent special editions on In the Trenches, where I talked to a practitioner working primarily in elite sport context, and today... You don't get much more elite than Manchester United women's performance nutritionist, Amy O'Keefe. Now, it was a great conversation for reasons that I'm sure you will all realize as you start to listen and get to the end of it. Absolutely packed full of honest, raw perspectives by Amy. I thought we had a really great conversation about where she's come from. Like many of these in the trenches chats that I've had so far and will have going forwards. I'm going to do a lot of these because I, I enjoy it and I hope you do too, is just how many different ways people have arrived at the roles that they have and just how different people approach practice, which is you know this whole thing I try to illustrate throughout my podcast, whether it's talking about applying science into practice or looking specifically at science and the fact that there still can be different views and perspectives and they can all be right or they could all be wrong of course but the point being is that this is a very dynamic field that we're in it's moving very fast and and loose so to speak but the art of being a practitioner is a really fascinating area and it is very much an individual process and it's just so fascinating to hear practitioners talk about you know, the things that led to the roles that they have now, the mistakes they've made in the past, their ideas, their perspectives, and, and so on. So anyway, I know you're going to love listening to this conversation today, particularly if you're an aspiring performance nutritionist and, of course, looking to work not just in, say, football, but also as a female practitioner or a male practitioner, of course, but working in female sport, which is not as common currently as it relates to the profession of a performance nutritionist, particularly in football. So that is also fascinating, clearly not my area of expertise. So I learned a lot today, just really enjoyed the conversation with Amy. Now, I will apologize for the standard of the audio I'm a human being and like all humans, I've made mistakes and I did not set up my microphone up properly. So it is more of a raw laptop recording than my pro mic recording, but the editors will make some improvements to the audio, but just please bear with me. It does not detract at all from the quality of the chat and the conversation and what you get from it. Just before I have you listen to our conversation from earlier today, please do go check out our website at www.theiopn.com where you can access the podcast page, the section of our website for our podcast. Uh, you can look at all the back catalog, all the previous episodes and links to the papers and resources, etc., that we refer to in every podcast and transcripts and so on. That's all there. You can also learn about our advanced level diploma in performance nutrition, which is specifically aimed at providing our students with a thorough training in sport and exercise science and practice. There's no program like it. It's sort of an eight to 18 month program. 
the equivalent of five postgraduate modules dedicated to sport and exercise nutrition. So you can't get more thorough than that. So learn about that at www.theiopn.com. And also you can learn about SEMPRO, our sport and exercise nutrition platform, our coaching software for performance nutritionists, which just so happens, Amy is one of our great, fabulous users who excels in her practice using SEMPRO. So you might want to go check out what that's all about at www.theiopn.com. Now, I hope you enjoy this chat with Amy as much as I did. So welcome back to the IOPN We Do Science podcast, which I guess I'm going to have to think about changing the name of this podcast because we don't always talk about science, or at least there is a connection with science and practice. And of course, that bridging the gap between science and practice and sport and exercise nutrition is sort of my obsession. That was my whole focus of my doctorate. And that's what we aim to do at the IOPN. And recently, I've been doing these episodes called In the Trenches. And today, my guest for In the Trenches special edition is with Amy O'Keefe of Manchester United Women's, amongst other things. So Amy, welcome. Hello, Lauren. Nice to be on the podcast. Feels really strange, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this isn't this is your life or Hollywood lives or whatever. It's, you know, as I was saying, it's uh, you and me, we're both performance nutritionists. We've both got, we've had interesting careers thus far. I've been around slightly longer than you, Amy, but, <laughs> you know, my aim here with these podcasts, these in the trenches episodes, which by the way is a sort of a reference to the real world chaotic environment, you know, obviously originally First World War trenches, you think of soldiers, stuff's going absolutely bonkers and it's just a nightmare and crazy and so on. And that's kind of how it is in real world practice. The, the difference between what we were reading in textbooks or had in lectures may not be reflective of, of what we're seeing on a day-to-day basis. And that's why... I love having these chats because it doesn't matter what sport you're in. We both happen to do a lot of football between us, but it doesn't matter what sport you're in. There's so many different ways of dealing with these things, different approaches. And I would guess every single club, every single private practice, you've got people achieving great results, but going around it in different ways, which is why it's so fascinating to see how other people look at things and do things. So anyway... Not everyone knows who you are. You're probably better known than you think you are. But tell us about Amy O'Keefe and, you know, what you're currently up to, and then we'll take it from there. Okay. Yeah, so I'm currently the performance nutritionist for Manchester United women's team. I also help oversee the nutrition support for the academy, although I'm not based full-time there. And then apart from the full-time role with Manchester United, I also run a like private nutrition business, which I took a little bit of a break from pre-Christmas because of football. <laughs> but yeah, back up again this year and it's called Committed Nutrition. So I run small nutrition groups online on there, on SEMPRO. It'd be good to know. Um, <laughs> and then I also do a bit of coaching. So I am a CrossFit coach by trade, as they say, but I'd say I just coach fitness a couple of hours per week these days. So yeah, I like to take a little bit of time away from nutrition and be part of a different type of team as a bit of a separate hobby, I guess. A change of scene is a great thing. We've talked about that in many different podcasts, but I know myself, I 
uh, I worked with numerous rugby and football teams over the years, but in my particular experience, apart from the you know the full time investment that you have with tournament football, in my case, where you travel for months on end during Euros and World Cups and so on, for the rest of the year, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm in private practice or teaching or whatever. And the last in the trenches episode we had was Dr. James Morhen, who, who no doubt you'll know another. LJMU fine graduate there who has invested a lot of his time and effort recently in this very concept of of being a performance nutritionist with his new book that came out. So listeners, if you haven't listened to that, you must do. It's absolutely fascinating. I believe he's coming up with another another version of that book. So with bated breath, but what's illustrated there and, you know, in that podcast and what will come out today and in previous in the trenches episodes, as I've already elucidated is this fact that there's, there are so many differences in what leads someone to becoming a performance nutritionist, which I want to explore with you, particularly, you know, Man United Women's, one of the top teams out there, you know, is fascinating in itself. But also the reality, like in your case, that that isn't necessarily going to be a full time role. You're going to be doing other things. And, and therefore, there's a need as a practitioner to have multiple skill sets to be able to succeed and have a good career generally, but also to become a, a maybe a more rounded practitioner. I have a sneaky feeling that actually you might feel that's no bad thing because having lots of different types of, of clients, individuals, group settings, team settings, elite sport, recreational, amateur, whatever, brings itself a, a sort of a dynamic mix of experiences for you as a practitioner, which also draws upon your need to be what my father accuses me of being on a good day of being omnicompetent, which means <laughs> that you may not be, you know, the world's, uh, and I'm not mentioning anyone in particular, but you may not be the number one's preeminent expert on cycling nutrition or football nutrition or whatever. But the reality is that to be a really great practitioner does require those multiple skill sets. Even within the same sport, you've got many different characters and likes and dislikes and needs and and so on. And these are the sorts of things that I find fascinating that differentiates, I guess, that tightly, neatly packaged concept of sport and exercise nutritionist or scientist on paper relative to where we find ourselves in, in the real world. So anyway, Amy, just walk us through how you got to this point in your career. It's easy to say, oh, you know, I'm a Man United women's and so on. But I mean, you know, as James pointed out in the previous, in the trenches episode, there's a hell of a lot of people getting degrees and specializing in performance nutrition, for example, relative to the amount of actual roles there are, particularly at the level that you now find yourself. So how did you get to this point? Pretty long winded answer, but I'll run with it. So I first got into nutrition when I was at undergrad. I done like a sport exercise nutrition undergrad course didn't really know what I wanted to do as you can imagine at 18 19 I actually fled the nest to Dundee I thought let's go as far away as we can to go to university away from Liverpool oh, um, this way. wow yeah <laughs> I didn't last too long no Lauren I lasted eight weeks <laughs> the weather's too tropical up here <laughs> yeah <laughs> so then came back reassessed took the rest of that year out and then Decided to go to Liverpool Hope, where I studied three years there, lived at home. And then I went into the public health sector. So I worked for the NHS on child weight management programmes, working with overweight children and their families, 
it was a very rewarding but frustrating job. So I went down that road, but at the same time I was doing like PT and I am quite a, a sporty person. I've always played sport and it's just a, a massive interest of mine. So I was doing PT and alongside working for the NHS and then done that for quite a few years. And it wasn't until by accident, you could call it or coincidence, I got a client who was a young Liverpool Football Club female footballer. And at the time, I think she was about, I'm going to say 13, trained together for a year. And then it, about a year or 18 months into training together, she'd done every single sport you can think of under the sun, cross country. She was just a super sporty kid. And she got a stress fracture to her back, like a pause stress fracture. And she was your typical teenager, like skinny, tall, not much meat on the bone <laughs> type of kid. And she was injured for quite a while. And I was at this moment in time, I, I was not fully invested in, in the nutrition pathway. And it just got me thinking, why is she not healing from this injury? And I used to like probe questions. Like I used to see it on a Friday. She used to always get a, a Chinese on a Friday, which I was happy with at the time. Because I was like, yeah, silly boots. I read a little bit more about it and found out it was really common in teenagers, especially boys of that age. So from there, I just started to read more and find a, a passion for it, really. And then a mutual friend that I have of Graham Close. So it was one of his best friends I'm friends with. Small world, as you can imagine. He's coming on for a podcast tomorrow, maybe. That's a <laughs> well, there's Graham. I know your, your ears are <laughs> Yeah, so it was a guy called Steve Heaton who put me in touch with Graham and I just asked the questions and met up with him and just said, what is the possibility of the sport nutrition course uh, at John Moore's? And then it went from there, really applied, and then that was it. So then, yeah, ended up at John Moore's, taking eight years out from education, which I'm sure if you ask Jose Reta, my first assignment was not groundbreaking, to say the least. I, I forgot how to reference. Yeah, I felt way out of my depth. and then. It wasn't until I found my feet a little bit and then, yeah, I was fully on it by Christmas time because you have to be. I was the more mature student in the group. I think I was the oldest in the class. And I say old, I was probably 28 at the time, 29. So not old by any stretch, but I had like six or seven years on a lot of the students in the class, which at first I was quite wary of. But sitting here now, I'm really glad I took that eight years away just to gain life skills and working jobs that I guess many of the students I was in class with had never done before. It did really help with just being able to have conversations and get to know people on on that different level and just speaking about science and nutrition and things like that. So yeah, from there, amazingly, the sport nutrition course at John Moore's provides you with a a six-month placement. I decided to apply for it was called a scholars placement based at John Moore's with Dr. Carl Lang and Evans and I thought okay I've got this placement I'm happy and then I was thinking about applying for the Manchester United placement too and then at the last minute I sort of had a doubt and I I cancelled the interview I was like I've got a part-time job I'm studying I've got one placement I can't fit another one in and as you can imagine Graham just sent three words, nothing is impossible. <laughs> so emailed El Turner, who was a performance coach at the time, and I got a second chance and I was able to go in and have an interview day where you just spend time with the players and 
they actually got to vote between two people, which is quite, quite harsh. Myself and another intern called Molly shared the placement, so to speak. We were the first ever nutrition interns the club had had on the women's side because it was a really new team. And then COVID hit in like the March. So it sort of naturally came to an end in like the April, May. And then kept in touch. I treated it as a full-time job when I was there. I will sit here now and say I did give everything to the placement. And I was able to go back in the November of the next season when I'd finished university and I was funded for one day a week. And then science and sport with a club sponsor at the time. And it was Professor James Morton who kindly pulled strings and I was able to be funded full time from February of 2020 to the end of the season so until the May so I was you know on the ground full time and the difference in behaviors and just everything was massive because you're just there every day one day a week was just so hard to see changes and then I guess I'll say luckily again but I think a lot of it was through hard work but there's definitely elements of luck it was the old manager Casey Stoney who valued nutrition and really really pushed the club to employ me full time which you know is really, really rare in women's football. So now I'm yeah, I'm sitting here as a full-time nutritionist in the WSL, which I'm obviously really proud of, but I'm also very grateful for because I know that that's not really what happens or is is what meant to happen when you finish a master's degree. <laughs> that's amazing, Amy. I mean, look, and there's a lot more to you and what you're up to, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But, you know, I think there's a very human element to how you've arrived where you're at I mean you you know people use phrases like oh it's luck or whatever but of course you've played a big role in that luck turning out the way that it had you know on your day-to-day basis you've made decisions you decided for one reason or another to have time out in the real world and that's mm-hmm. shaped and developed who you are and of course you realize now that you're working with human beings and there's a dynamic there that, that I know in my own practice that the fact that I have been out there and, you know, in my case, lived in different countries and done different things and this, that and the other and had life's experiences of making some pretty big mistakes, you know, or <laughs> decisions or whatever. But any human being that you talk to is going to share some of that with you. So I think that that having that under your belt does enable you to communicate and connect and interact with someone. And as a practitioner, particularly in nutrition, of course, where, you know, it's a very, it's a very personal thing, what you eat and drink. And it's mm-hmm. not, it's not, you know, we, as performance nutritionists, we love talking about, oh, you know, fuel for the work required and macros and how many grams per kilogram of this, that, and the other. But, you know, that, that's sort of the alien language, the geek speak that we love to talk about and hear about and listen about. And, but the people that we're working with, you know, we have to use a different language because we want to bring about changes in habits and behaviors and get that buy-in and trust and belief. And that's going to, that's just going to start off just by having some sort of relationship professional, obviously, but with mm-hmm. with your players, your athletes, your clients, just to quickly stay on that topic. I mean, you've recently come into that elite team environment, but as you've said, you've, you know, it's not your first rodeo in terms of helping people. Mm-hmm. I, and it doesn't even, doesn't even have to be as a performance nutritionist, as a CrossFit coach, personal trainer, weight management specialist in the NHS, whatever. How important have you found in your own 
successes, not just in career development, but in actually bring about successful outcomes with your clients, has that been that human element, that ability to connect and relate and so on? Obviously, going, I've, I've worked many jobs. I've been a, a barista in Costa Coffee while studying to, you know, working with the NHS with the child in child work management programs. And I think there's always that human element where you just have up my belief is like be kind and show that you care. If you care about someone, then he'll buy in. Like it's the saying, show that you care and you'll care what you know or something like that. But I do think that's really important and showing empathy, especially when I was working with families who were, you know, they didn't have much money. So showing empathy to them and just being on a level with them and just showing that you care. It has massively helped me in my career from, you know, all them from eight years ago to now working with one of the best teams in in the WSL. It's still the same principles that I I apply all the time. And I do think it's it's really important that you just get to understand they're not athletes, they're just people that are really good at football or the families who are working with, with the NHS, they they weren't fortunate enough to have things that we sort of expect people to have and the education that we expect people to have and understanding that and the reasons why it might, it just massively helps with how you can help them going forward. Yeah. You know, we talked to, about this with James Mohen and Rich Chesser and Charlie Ashford and various others that have done this in the trenches. And this will come up every time I have these in the trenches conversations where this is very much about a human to human interaction. And uh, I mean, I get messaged all the time on LinkedIn. I think I've mentioned this numerous times now in the past where people are like, oh, how do I get a job in elite sport? You know, how have you done what you've done? Or in this case, I'm asking you, how have you done what you've done? And you've made it clear it wasn't a quick journey. Uh, and actually don't try and take the shortcuts to, to get there. Appreciate the value of all those other things. And and I, I think that was a great thing that Graham had told you. Nothing is impossible. But you do, of course, need to have your sights on something was everyone has different elements of ambition and motivation and so on. But what was on your radar? What were you aiming for at the time? I appreciate there was an organic process for you and you've been, you've had some great people around you, obviously, but when you started out on this path, where did you think you were going? It's a good question. I think with me being a sporty person by nature, I've always like in school, I want to be a PT teacher because that was the only thing I knew what to be or how to get there. So I always wanted to be in sport. I never, I would be lying if I, if I said I thought I would be here, but to be able to be helping people in sport in some capacity, I would say that was definitely a goal, but I didn't have like an exact job role that, I'd, that I set my sights on. So yeah, it wasn't nutrition. It was sport, but in sport, I, I wasn't sure. But that's important because I think it's also, you know, the, I, Again, I don't know why I keep getting people contacting me about stuff. And one thing I get quite a lot is students still doing their GCSEs, for example, are at that age where they're starting to think about what they're going to do. And they're getting maybe some advice from schools, careers advisors, and or they're looking out, they're going, oh, I would, you know, I really want to be Amy O'Keefe one day or I want to be... Growing closer or whatever. In fact, none of us are particularly well known in the scheme of things. But you know, they'll be. I want to be. You know, working with Ronaldo. I want to work with whoever. It's an obvious allure, isn't it? I mean, you're like, wow. You know, but as I said, the reality is there just aren't that many 
sort of places available. But essentially, a key characteristic is going to have to be at least a desire to want to to help people. Or you, you know, I think there are those people that are obsessed by science and facts and so on. And absolutely, you can make a career out of that, particularly if you want to get into research and so on. I mean, you know, I'm not saying researchers don't have an interest either which way. I'm just saying that that, mm-hmm. that is necessary one way or the other to go down that path. And there are going to be things you're going to have to do to build yourself to get there, to get your master's and then a PhD and, and so on and so forth. But the pathway of becoming a practitioner can often be quite organic. So I was personal training for years, you know, mm-hmm. myself. I, you know, I didn't get into this. I've been doing this stuff for about 30 years. I've only been in elite sort of sport for 10, 10, 12 years. So, you know, is there some advice that you would give yourself? The younger Amy O'Keefe, going back 10, 12 years or whatever, is there anything that you would look back at? Or on the other hand, it's sort of a repeat of Graham's statement of nothing is impossible. Maybe don't have too much of a blinkered vision and an expectation of where you're going, but maybe uphold some basic principles. I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think if it were going back 10 years ago, I, I think by nature and from seeing like how hard my mum's worked when when I was younger, I think I've always had that instilled in me, that like graft and hard work. I'll never be the brightest person in, in a class, but I know I'll work the hardest. That's one thing I, I sort of do back myself on. So I think going back 10 years, like I wasn't bothered really if I, if I was working in Costa Coffee because I knew that it was serving a purpose. And I wasn't in a rush. I think if I would have went straight from undergrad to master's, I don't think I'd be sitting here. Definitely not. I wouldn't have those life skills. I don't think I'd be the type of nutritionist that I am at the minute. So, yeah, I just think if if I was going back to when I was 18, just be open to whatever happens next in your path. I feel like everything happens for a reason. And never say no to opportunities because... You just never know where they will lead, genuinely. What about football, though? So let's just, we both obviously have had and have interesting experiences within football, which, face it, is it's a crazy world. Absolutely (laughs) crazy, nuts, but immensely exciting. And just the sheer depth to it are just mind-boggling, which is why it fascinates a huge percentage of the people on this planet. It's just, you know, it's just crazy. I mean, you could go anywhere in the world, Amy, anywhere and mention Man United for example and absolutely anywhere would know roughly where you're at and, and the team and so on okay they might be more familiar with the men's team but mm-hmm. in a matter of time that'll you know that'll extend because of course and I want to talk about this in a minute the fact that women's football is just going from strength to strength not just in the, in the UK but but internationally but yeah what is it about football though that that makes you want to be there I've played it since I was four. Me and the granddad used to take me to football training on a Saturday morning with all the boys. I just loved it. And my family are big Everton fans, which is, it's been a really sad life for me, to be honest. <laughs> I hope times will change, but just, I don't know. I don't want to spend too much time thinking about it. But yeah, so it's a, we're a football family. So, and that is the sport in Liverpool. It's not rugby, it's football. So that's where the, the passions came from. And then I've never wanted to... Like, I am always in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be a one-trick pony and just be in football forever because I think it's really important to learn other sports. But obviously the placement for Manchester United opportunity came up while I was at university. 
I was like, I would be so silly not to. Like, <laughs> it's not Everton, but it's Manchester United. And yeah, that's where it came from. And it was just a no-brainer. It's just something that I've played. And then I played up until I went back to university because something had to give. <laughs> I couldn't spin that extra plate, to be honest. But now I wouldn't be able to play it anyway because my weekends are dedicated to the team. So sure. I'd rather that. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, look, no, look, it's no brain. It will forever benefit you and your career. And I think, you know, there's listeners here who be going, oh, they're lucky, lucky, you know. But I've <laughs> explained it's not actually a case of luck. You've had to work your ass off clearly to get where you're at. And at the end of the day, when, you know, the dice go a certain way, the cards present themselves, however which way you want to think it, when you do get that opportunity, though, it isn't luck that got you through the interview, that got you selected. And obviously, there were a number of essential characteristics that had to be there. What would you say those essential characteristics were, in your case, that you feel, and sometimes this is difficult to say why you got a job or why you were <laughs> above someone else, but what, you know, you, you're obviously proud. You said you're proud to be where you're at. What do you think of those essential characteristics that you were the right girl for that job? I feel like I'm a very committed person. So... I'm hoping that shows day to day and it showed when the girls voted that day. I feel like I have got like good soft skills. I can interact with, I'd like to think I can speak to anybody no matter what the background is. And from the master's degree, and I know I won't be the first person to speak highly of James and Graham. It was just the messages that they used to say over and over again of be a good person and get to know the individual first. Like it doesn't matter what you know because they will never be interested in what you know if you don't know them or you don't even try to ask questions about like not things about football just their life what they've done at the weekend and yeah I just feel like I've I can speak to people on a, a normal level and I don't feel like that is something that I've had to work hard on I feel like it's something that comes natural and I know it doesn't for some people so I do appreciate that but yeah I think having soft skills and being kind and showing that you care going that extra mile I think I think I'm guilty of doing it too much where <laughs> the girls need to start doing a bit more themselves but yeah <laughs> I think it's always the way in football but yeah and I think being able to just adapt and spin 400 plates at once as you know like being a, a nutritionist I'm obviously I appreciate that I've got a full-time role but I have other roles as well as as I know you do and the likes of James Mohan and everyone else so yeah, being adaptable and working hard and being really good with your time. <laughs> yeah, just give it your all, right? And just, mm -hmm. just accept that there are going to be issues, but you've got to learn how to take things on the chin and actually learn from them, don't you? That's the, yeah, like I was, the, like, I hadn't had any, like a predecessor, so I had no one before me performing nutrition work at, at the club. So I didn't know whether I was doing it right. Like, after I'd left university, like after those, you know, supervisor one-to-ones ended at John Moore's, I didn't know whether to do it or not, but I'd just done it. Some things paid off, some things didn't. But yeah, I guess you just got to take chances. And I think with a sport like this, like, I think you can, as long as the safe chances, but as long as you reflect on them and be like that, wow, never ever doing that again. Or do you know what? I think there's... It could be success here, then yeah, just just be confident in yourself and roll with it. It's great. I there are similarities to what you're saying to the other 
guests I've had on that are in various stages of their career and there's this common theme, you know. But I think at the end of the day, you, you just got to accept that you're a human being, you're working with other humans. I think everyone makes allowances for that as long as you keep trying to do the right things for the right reasons, right, with a, with a sense of integrity and honesty. And we all will be given allowances as long as we do actually make an effort. And I think some of the practitioners that don't do so well or find themselves not being reselected for their roles or whatever is is not necessarily because they don't have the right kind of resume on paper as it relates to what degrees and qualifications they've got, which does seem to be an obsession for some people. And don't get me wrong, it, it's obviously an important thing. Mm-hmm. You have to have the right training, education and knowledge. You know, they're like keys to get you through doors and so on. But you should never underestimate your own personal characteristics. And it's that area of soft skills and those personal traits that I love to highlight in these sessions because these are the things you don't get taught at university. How could you? Yeah. You, you will get them. And in your case, you with James and Graham and the many others that you have in that environment have all played a, obviously a, a great role in your own growth development and so on. James and Graham, I mean, they were, the, they were on the first ever podcast I did and they, <laughs> those guys. They're showing their age then, Lauren, aren't they? I know. Grant <laughs> and Phil, that's what we used to call them, Grant and Phil. And then they developed, uh, neither of them were professors back then, so it's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they contributed a, a lot to our programme at the IOPN, so I'm just grateful one way or the other. But there are hundreds of others out there as well, yeah. awesome yeah. experts, professors, and so on that I've been lucky enough to talk to. But let's get back to your role as mm-hmm. a performance nutritionist i always find so back in the day people well you're either a nutritionist or a dietitian or a sports nutritionist and we've got this title performance nutritionist which is much more recent and i much prefer it because a performance nutritionist allows for the fact that you're involved in performance human performance but not necessarily in a football or a athletic environment it could be corporate could be anywhere where the human being has to perform at at their best. And that's what I find exciting about what we do is that our work in enabling optimum health and performance in in high achieving physically, you know, or otherwise individuals makes our scope of practice really quite exciting and fascinating. But also we shouldn't be limiting it to being a one-trick pony like you just talked about. And, of course, I realise you now have this quotes unquote full-time role but you still are doing other things and that is a reality for us as performance nutritionists just tell us a bit about some of the other things that you're up to and how maybe they integrate to make each side of these things maybe work a bit better and then we'll, we are going to come out and talk a bit about your role as a performance nutritionist yeah. in elite football though because that's I think will be very interesting yeah so the like the private work that I do like you mentioned a little bit earlier on it's you know, your average Joe gym goer to, you know, your working class mum who is balancing having two kids, working full time, trying to get to the gym, trying to eat healthy. So it's obviously different ends of the spectrum, but I think working with both is really important. So that's on a group level that I, that I do at the minute, just like small groups. So at the minute I'm running a, a group program until the end of this month. And it's pure nutrition basics, just focusing on habits and just um, massively hitting them with education because I think you can give anyone a meal plan. I'm sure you've heard this a million times, but that's the first thing someone will ask you for. Have you got a meal plan? I'm like, no, (laughs) because by the end of when I, like by the end of a month or whatever, I want you to be able to build your own just by knowing what to choose. 
if you go out in a social situation and you're not going to know what to get. So I'm quite stubborn on that. So, and then I also do some freelance work with Liverpool Women's Academy through the DICE programme. So that's more like workshops and one-to-ones and there's a focused on match day minus one so far this season. Just feel like that, that can have the biggest, biggest impact and also half time. What are they doing at half time? So yeah, I guess all of them together, as well as like working as a, as a fitness coach, because I've got a sporting background and I enjoy the gym and I, I guess I used to be a bit of an athlete myself, but I, I'd sort of take away that term now. I just like to train hard, but understanding you know how to move in the gym and what different movements are, the names of them, and being able to spot someone on a bench press in the gym at United, it just really helps with, because sometimes they ask me, like, oh, how do you do this? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I, can, I can show you. <laughs> I'm glad I've got that background because I can, you know, I can, it's like another string to, to the bow, really. It's funny, isn't it? People, we talk about sports nutrition, sport and exercise science or fitness or whatever, and particularly in the, you know, in the, in the, I guess when you've done your degrees and masters and so on, it's very easy to get stuck into evidence-based science and whatever. But ultimately, a lot of this just comes down to education, particularly on very basic things, because most people can't grasp the basics or they've they've been influenced by social media fads, fallacies or whatever to focus not on the basics, but on mm-hmm. crazy things like cutting out certain food groups or having cups of coffee with two tons of lard stuck in it or, you know, certain fat burning supplements or whatever. I mean, just talk to us about your approach to education. You do your group coaching and also the team that you work with as a group. How do you approach that? Because one-on-one is one thing, but when you've got a whole bunch of people, how do you approach that? With the work at United, I've, I've tried to, I do think group work is impactful. I think there's things that the whole group do need to know. But I'd, I personally like them to feel like individuals in a team. So I'm always conscious that I will have conversations on their own or like I'm just starting to implement like mid-season reviews and end the season like sort of, and I say review, I just, it, it will be like an informal chat where, you know, I just note down a few bits of information and try and just keep it quite lighthearted. So then they're getting that individualized approach as well as the week after they might be sitting in a group and working in small groups but with one goal so yeah I think it's important to combine the two I guess you can't just throw one sheet over some over everyone and be like you're all the same but and some people need more help than others don't they realistically yeah if you give everyone five percent of your time it's not necessarily going to work is it whereas some people are much more in need of help and I guess you need to have your eyes and ears open for that don't you how do you speak to those that need more help than others yeah, I think quite good, really, with the players at United. They, they've they got a relationship where they will just openly come and ask, like, oh, I don't understand what you're sort of asking me to do there, or I don't really know what, what this is. So that's quite good. But I know, but then there's some players that I know that I can just leave. Like, I, they, don't need, they don't need me to keep <laughs> pecking the heads all the time. Because I'd like to think over the past, I'd say, 18 months that they've, You've had a decent amount of education. Obviously, there can always be more and time is always an issue. But yeah, I'm confident that there's a few players that I can leave be for a while and, you know, just touch base sometimes with just a chat. But then 
It could be more of like the younger players coming through from the academy, which I've found. There's a couple that have came through over the past year. And if everyone comes through like them, like this job's going to be amazing in the next like five to 10 years because being super coachable. But what a great yeah. legacy, you know. I mean, you must be proud of that. Honestly, they blew me away. And it's credit to them for sort of trusting someone new who they didn't know. I've asked them to eat more and they've done it. <laughs> and especially that age coming from academy, I guess earlier than, than 18, like starting at that, like that 16 age up until, you know, even whatever age up till now. I think there's that body image change in perception, which is something that I'm really interested in. I think, I think I'm, not, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but yeah, I think that change in perception of body image, if you're asking, you know, female football players to eat more carbs, eat more calories, fuel more. And then they're like, no, <laughs> I want to get fat. Like I want to go out with my mates and I want to look good in the dress or things like that. So I think personally for me, I want to explore that avenue way more of why we're not hitting six grams per kilo every match day. Like why aren't we doing it? And I do feel from my time at Manchester United and other experiences, I think it is, some of it is a body image issue they're humans aren't they I, I joke yeah. about this a lot but in my work I've only ever worked with male football players but you know particularly at the level that I've been working at lately you know there is a propensity there for when a goal is scored there's a few dramatic antics on the pitch involving taking the shirt off and they <laughs> they do do that and I've had so many conversations with players who are so concerned about how the nutrition you know, strategy might well be great for performance, but they are worried that it's going to affect how they look with a shirt off, you know, whether it's after scoring a goal or on holiday or whatever. They are human beings. And I think we lose sight sometimes. We sort of pigeonhole them into being sort of a robot. You know, you're, you're a player, you're an athlete. No, you're a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely an area that I want to explore more. How I do that at the minute, I don't know. But I think I heard it might have been when Dr. James Mohan was on your podcast last time and he said, or he said in the past where until the England national team, until every player hits six grams per kilo, like they're not going to win a tournament. And it can be the same for, you know, a WSL game on, on the weekend. And what are those limiting factors? And I do feel one of them is is body image, more so in females. Mm. Oh, well, obviously I've not worked in male no, sport, I but right. yeah. I think maybe more pre- like prevalent in, in females, yeah. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. Of course, there are consequences to that. Body images, you know, this isn't just with football. This isn't anything, you know, where people are cutting out food groups or under eating to the extent that they're in that relative energy deficiency problem. And I've had numerous guests on to talk about the science of that. But managing that is a difficult one, isn't it? And of course, you do have to be part nutritionist, part psychologist, part friend, (laughs) part... In terms of that relationship with with a player, with a client, with an athlete, inevitably you're going to have some people who will just blurt out their concerns to you. But then there's others you've you've got to break down some barriers. Have there been some interesting experiences in that regard? Obviously, without saying names, but you know. yeah, there's been a few conversations in the past couple of years where there's players and people that have had really well, very different and types of diets where they've restricted and you know only at a certain sweet or chocolate bar one day or had another diet where they've done something else and all because of maybe in the past they've they've been told or they've heard a comment where they're overweight or and that has just stuck with them so 
you know, that body confidence and and perception of of how they look and how they feel is had a massive negative impact on then like nutrition behavior. So yeah, I think nutrition is so complicated. And that is one thing I, I always say first to, to, to the girls. And I say nutrition is so complicated. And and for one person it'll be so easy. And I can ask them and they'll do do whatever I ask them. But for someone else, there's so many things going on in their mind where they're like, no, I can't, I can't do that right now. And there's still players that I haven't cracked. You know, and I always look to me first and I'm like, what can I do different? How can I approach them? But yeah, there's a lot of barriers to just forget about eating carbs, just eating enough food in general. So yeah, I think there's a lot of work to be done and how I do that, it'll be a lot of different ways, but I'm not too too sure with some, some people at the minute, but we'll get there. Yeah, well, I just, you know, at the end of the day, that's why you've got to turn up and talk to people, but also be approachable, haven't you? Because at the end of the day, you can't be spread that thin, you know. Sometimes you have to leave it up to people to come up to you. And I guess if you present yourself as an unavailable, unapproachable person, that's going to be a major barrier to you achieving success in that scenario, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess, like, you know, I'll be naive if I think I'm approachable to every single person in the team. Like, obviously, there's some people that would like to speak to me more than others, and that's just life. But some cases maybe bigger than me it might need to go external like it's probably some of them are probably cases that I can't deal with and it's above my you know capacity I'd love to but it could be more of a psychosocial type uh, issue so there's that element where you do need to pass things on and things do need to go external to to help even more I guess yeah and that, I mean that's an interesting point which we make a big deal of with our own students and i you know, fundamentally, I'm aware of my scope of practice nowadays in my practice. And it's very understandable that you want to do everything and try and help people with everything, but you need to know the limits of your knowledge and expertise, but also the value of outsourcing, referring to a specialist. For example, I know a fair amount about relative energy deficiency and so on, but I absolutely, once I see that, I will refer them to a... Yeah specialist dietitian or a, or a specialist doctor who that is their area of expertise and I feel very good about myself for having connected them with that specialist because it is a difficult journey to go with and it's not within my scope of practice so I think having those connections around you and and finding specialists you know can be a two-way process particularly for those people that are wondering how to build and develop their own practice the fact that you know when to refer to someone else will also engage a process where someone else is going to refer back to you as well you know and build your referral yeah yeah definitely and you don't have them all within the team you know yes there's a club doctor or doctors but they're very limited in time uh, and sometimes you have to go out and find people like you say in your scenario it's a new ish thing particularly in women's football, you know, you're sort of starting yeah. from scratch, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And So, Amy, we've been talking for almost an hour. It's amazing. There's so many things we can talk about. But very selfishly, I just wanted to come back to the fact that you did mention the use Sempro. So, <laughs> and that is something that we have built and developed and we continue to build and develop as a tool to aid practitioners in working with with their clients and developing their practice and so on and just interested to briefly hear about your experiences since you 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 do use it in your own practice yeah I think Sean could correct me on this but I think I was maybe one of the first 
people that signed up, to be honest. I was I was like pecking his head at the beginning because I was sort of ready to have some kind of, you know, hub and like base. So I've really enjoyed the platform. I think it's it's easy to navigate around. Now that it's got an app, like the mem- from a member's perspective, it's you know, it's way better than having just to log in on the website. It's if you can scroll through Instagram for two minutes, you can scroll through Sempro and tick off your habits and reply to my messages. <laughs> I'm a real fan of of the platform and I think it'll only go from strength to strength. And I've done quite a few groups on it now. This is the, obviously the first one of 20, 2022 and I'd like to think that I can continue to do them every couple of months if the demand's there. But it's just what a nice, what nice thing. What are you using, by the way? I mean, when you talk about um, So going back to, yeah, so last... I'd say last year in in the summertime there was um, groups of thirty, but now I'd say the average. So it went from like thirty, then like twenty two ish. But then now, I personally never have. I've never not done too much marketing over Christmas because I took a bit of a break. But I've got eleven people on this one now, and I just think it's a nice sort of entry back into getting back in into group work and private work. So I'm, I'm happy with with the number really. And what's interesting about that type of work is that obviously when you're working with your players at Man United, you have to be in Manchester for the most part and or have elements of that relationship of face-to-face. And of course, you can then bridge the gap in time and convenience by then interacting with them on, you know, whatever mechanisms you use, whether it's something like Semper or WhatsApp or email or text or whatever. But you and many others have developed these amazing practices where you're working with clients essentially anywhere in the world which mm-hmm. is which is a great thing about technology nowadays you know you're not limited to who's in your postcode yeah how do you find that how have you how have you found that yeah i think it's good for when you're on the go like i think lockdown really helped with bringing this together like i would have never run a group session before lockdown i think for me with COVID hitting, like I lost my job like in, in a gym, so I didn't have any income. So I sort of pressed fast forward on launching my own business. Like I personally, I don't feel I was ready, but everything happens for a reason and you just got to think on your feet. So I just started to do 30 days of commitment, I call it. And I just done it as a feeler and having everything in the central hub because I used to do groups where, you know, it was a Facebook group and it was too clunky, whereas this is just so smooth and I couldn't really think of ever going back to a nutrition Facebook group or something similar. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's so so 2000s and not 2000s. <laughs> no. But that's great. As I said at the beginning is the fact that, you know, you can wake up on a different day each week and, you know, you, you've got your private practice, you've got some of your coaching in the gym if COVID allows us to do such things <laughs> and also you have your work with your football players and and presumably that makes your week more interesting to you. I mean, you know, your own satisfaction, mental health, et cetera, has to be something that that is an important aspect of being a functional, not just human being, but a functional practitioner, right? Mm-hmm. No, that's correct. And um, making that as easy and manageable as possible makes my life easier, makes full-time role at United run smoother because I'm not having to worry about I don't know being back to meet a client at five o'clock to talk about carbohydrates or something but it's just it's just moving with with the times and yeah I'm happy to have access to it and have it at your fingertips really and I just think as 
the way the world's going with social media and everyone being on the phones all the time, it is a bad thing, but it's a good thing for things like this because, like I said before, if someone can, you know, spend 10 minutes a day scrolling through Twitter and Instagram, then he can take two minutes to check the Sempro <laughs> notifications. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, look, it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, I... yeah. I feel like a dinosaur. I've sort of come from the black and white days, you know, of everything is face-to-face manual and so on. And the evolution of, of our profession is just mind-boggling. But it's so exciting. I remain excited about where this this field is going and uh, my own small partner, of course. And, and for yourself, if you're to think forwards now, sort of 10, 15 years, have you got any idea where you think you might want to go? You just see what happens and enjoy the process. Yeah, I think. I wouldn't want to like jinx anything at the minute. Um, I I think deep down, and I've said this openly to people in conversation, there is something in me that, that feels a little bit unfulfilled because I haven't done a PhD. And if you would have asked me about that during my master's, I would have laughed and just been like, no, never, ever in my life am I doing one of them. But I think taking obviously time away from academia and finding an interest within your full-time role and where you see potential gaps in the research. I think I do what I do. I would like to get on board with a PhD. There's no rush, is there? There is yeah, no, no, rush. no, there's, there's no rush. <laughs> I think you've um, proven yourself there's been benefits in those gaps. Allow yeah. yourself to do what you do. And it's like my, I did a professional doctorate. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I hadn't had many years of experience and things to reflect upon. It's not just a straight you know, you do your degree, master's, PhD, whatever. Yeah. As a practitioner, that's probably not the most useful pathway. And James Morhen talked about that in detail in the last episode. And then there are a lot of very successful practitioners who don't have PhDs or yeah. ripped off prof docs or even master's degrees, actually. I, I would hope for people to feel that that's essential. But, you know, in your case, that is an opportunity that is absolutely in front of you. And one day I imagine you'll be sitting on this side of the microphone or on the <laughs> other side of not with this Scouse accent. Professor, <laughs> Professor O'Keefe. You know, you never know, do you? I think again, if we leave it on a well, there's one thing I want to come back to, but it is the nothing is impossible comment, which I think is awesome. But look, we're gonna run out of time here. Uh, people are gonna go nuts if I didn't ask you. What, what you know just a bit more of an insight as to what your day-to-day or week-to-week life is like as a performance nutritionist at man united i mean you, you turn up drive there walk there you're there what happens when you get there what's it like oh god <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's never any two days that the same like i didn't expect to be doing well i don't know i think your perception of a, a role is so different until you're actually in a club like and you do I end up doing every single job like and I'm I'm fine with it I'll always muck in like we haven't got the biggest staff group so we've got this culture where everyone helps everyone team behind the team right team behind the team yeah so I've gone from I don't know filling hot water bottles up on a match day to I can't even I can't actually think to be honest like setting up you know the half time nutrition trays and but yeah I think like day to day We've got a bit of a unique space. So we have we we eat in the same room where we have like analysis and a meeting because we're in the middle of changing venues. So everything happens in one room. <laughs> so it's just carnage. So one morning I can be helping the catering girl put the dishes in the dishwasher because 
there's no one to do it. And then next minute I'm having a you know a chat with a with a player about how they felt on the weekend and you know putting things in place to make sure that they've got everything they need to be fueled. And I think my approach since I got here was that sort of availability of food. So if it's in their eyesight, they're more likely to reach for it. So we've gone from, I don't know, putting bread in the middle of the tables pre-COVID to now having a lot of snacks in the porter cabin where we're at. And it doesn't help staff who are trying to eat well, put it that way. <laughs> My approach was, let's just have a lot of things around because we came from such a low-carb culture before I started and a real carbohydrate fear and a real, you know, underfueling issue to pushing you know comp like my message was like confidence in carbohydrates like fuel to win just having thing filling the fridges with things or having a budget which is really you know which is really good i know it's quite rare with, with some teams and having the ability to order things and make sure that there's i don't know energy bars jaffa cakes different types of fruit pots we even have brownies and cookies sometimes because we've still mending what was before so you could pick up our like my nutrition philosophy and move it and put it into Chelsea and it would not work <laughs> but it works at the minute for where we're at for this group of players they've made amazing progress we've done a lot of I've done a lot of research in the team we've done like a match day minus one like nutrition analysis we've done a half time analysis and focused on carbohydrates and reduced that fear that that was my main priority when I started the job and it still is now well it's so, really yeah. a target isn't it I mean as you I mean there's so much to do it'll take years to get to whatever state of perfection right and then anyway you've got a new manager and you see a new location everything changes it's like eat sleep repeat rinse whatever isn't it yeah. it's, it's just what's going to happen but there's so much to what you're going to do on a day-to-day basis I just think that you illustrated it well with the fact that you know it's good as I said at the beginning it's going to be different per person different Location, job scenarios, it's highly context dependent, which is my favorite term. Context is going to be actually everything, which is why I'm going to be having dozens of these in the trenches conversations with people doing on paper kind of the same roles, but it's so not the same thing. And that's why I and all the listeners, Amy, are going to be extremely grateful for the time that you've given us today with all those spinning plates still spinning around you uh you've done a brilliant job and looking forward to seeing you continue to further develop and grow and impact the individuals and the teams and the players and and everyone so well done and thank you so much for today amy really appreciate it i've listened to this podcast since i was studying in my master's and i never ever thought i'd be on <laughs> this side it's a bit strange but no i'm very grateful that you're Oh no, the opportunity. So yeah, no, no, no. I, look, there's a there are a lot of people that listen, but there's a lot of people that you know were potentially you 10, 15 years ago, me 30, 40 years ago, whatever. And uh, look, we're all in it together, aren't we? You know, that's what I like to think that we're doing with these podcasts. So, well, that's it. Thank you so much, Amy, and I look forward to catching up with you again at another time. Oh, thank you very much. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, take care.